0: Thanks for tuning in to Farmer Theologian, a podcast designed to help you build deeply rooted practical theology. Let's get to work. All right, folks, welcome to a new episode of Farmer Theologian, episode 39, episode 39. Uh, Just a couple things before we get started. If you would like to help support this podcast, ways that you can help is simply by subscribing to this podcast on the platform that you uh, listen to it on please do hit that subscribe button. In fact, if you want to go join some other podcast platforms so you can subscribe there too, that would be great. Uh, also, leave a rating or review, uh, on again, on the platform that you're subscribing to. Go ahead and hit the five stars. If you have time, write us a nice review. Uh, that would be great. And then the third thing and probably the easiest thing, most important thing as well, is share this on social media. Let Help us get the word out. There is no budget for this podcast, zero budget or simply recording the podcast. So if you would like to help be our marketing arm, that would be great. Uh, Send out on social media that you're listening, help us get the word out. All right, today's topic is eschatology. We're gonna finish up the main points series by looking at eschatology, which is the study of last things or the study of end times. I am going to try my best not to give too many disclaimers or go on too many rants in this one. Uh, But it's going to be difficult. I think eschatology is is a topic that is of interest to many, many people. It leaves us with a lot of questions often and also leads to a lot of discussion and not always great discussion. So let me begin with my first main point of eschatology is understanding that God is in control. God is in control. From the very beginning, of scripture, sin enters the world. And the very first statement of end times things is that one day the head of the serpent will be crushed by the seed of the woman. This is eschatology given from the very beginning, as this is fulfilled in Christ's victory over sin and death over Satan. And so the reason that God, from the very beginning of time, can begin to speak about the end of times. Is because he's in control of all things. So the the great overarching theme that should uh, guide us in our understanding of end times is that scripture is consistent in everything it says, and in we can trust in it because God is in control of it. That leads us really to our second main point in eschatology, and probably the biggest disclaimer of the show: the point of eschatology in scripture is to bring comfort to the people of God, to bring comfort and encouragement to the people of God, knowing that God is in control. In fact, we're commanded in Thessalonians to comfort one another with these things. And so our main goal in studying eschatology, our main goal in teaching eschatology, our main goal, even in discussing and sometimes debating eschatology, should be to comfort one another That should guide us. Our main goal is not winning debates. Our main goal is not uh, beating others down into submission to accepting our view. Our main goal is to comfort one another with these words. So with that said, let's dive in to kind of the point of eschatology. First, I think it's kind of important that we define it. I know I've mentioned that it is the study of last things. And so I would say that to fill that out a little bit, it is the study of last things, which should be conducted with consistent hermeneutics. And it includes topics covered in scripture like Daniel's 70th week, the day of the Lord, the salvation of ethnic Israel, the Antichrist, the millennium, Jesus' second coming. These are all terms that are used depending on your particular view, you may think some of those speak of the same event. Some of those speak at different events. Some of those overlap somewhat, but these are all events and things mentioned in scripture, in prophecy, those things that speak of last things or speak of end times. They are the things that speak to eschatology. So when we talk about studying eschatology, we're focusing in on those things. Within eschatology, there are three large camps. Now. Here comes a disclaimer and probably a little rant that I will try to control to my best. I understand, and it really is the point of this series, to give you main points, to give you a high overview, not to give you an exhaustive explanation of things. So I will understand and will admit to you that these three ways that I'm about to define these large camps are simple by uh, intention. They are, are to give a simple overview of these things. Second, I understand that all of these different camps have a spectrum of views within them. And so, I'm sure each person that or, or people that hold to each of these views would disagree with my definitions of these three views, but I trust that you as my listener will understand I'm trying to give an honest and yet, simple representation of the overarching views to show the di- differences between them. I am not trying to take shots at anybody. I'm not trying to misrepresent anybody, uh, but I'm trying to do my best to uh, cover these three broad camps, which have a spectrum of views within them, in a simple, straightforward way. So, if you hold to one of these views and you disagree with my definition. Please assume the best and give me a charitable listen. Understand, I'm trying to describe a large camp in a very simple way. The first of these three large camps is amillennialism. I believe this is probably the predominant view within the church today. This view sees the millennium as a current reality. Now, the millennium refers to the thousand years, uh, the thousand year reign of Christ that's mentioned in Revelation 20. Uh, predominantly, but there, I think, are other texts that speak to its reality as well. Um, And so the general view of amillennialism would hold to the fact that the millennium is a current reality as Christ is currently reigning. He is reigning in heaven physically, but spiritually on earth through the church. And so the millennium is our current time or is a time of the church age that is awaiting Christ's second second coming. And at that coming, most amillennialists would hold that Christ is going to reign physically and spiritually in the new heavens and new earth. There are a few, emphasis on a few, uh, within the amillennial camp that would hold that to being a spiritual reign as well, Um, but that is very much a minority view. Most of them would believe Christ is reigning spiritually now and will reign physically and spiritually in the new heavens and the new earth. The next major view is post millennialism. Now, this would share the view of amillennialism that the millennium is now, but they would say that Christ is reigning currently through the church. And as in this church age or in the millennium, Christ's uh, influence and reign will increase over the nations progressively. And when it hits a a certain level, that will, uh, Christ will then usher in the kingdom physically um in again if, if he's if he's reigning physically he's physically and spiritually in the new heavens and new earth um but generally speaking christ will is currently reigning from heaven through the church it will increase its influence until it becomes the predominant influence which will usher in the new heavens and new earth where Christ will reign physically from the earth as well, the new earth at that point. The third view is postmillennialism. This view, or I'm sorry, is premillennialism. Uh, so we have amillennialism, postmillennialism, and premillennialism. Premillennialism holds that the millennium is a literal thousand-year reign of Christ that is yet future. It's following his second coming before his establishment of the new heavens and new earth. So premillennialism would take that there is a literal rapture, a literal seven-year period of tribulation, and a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth before there's one final rebellion and then new heavens and new earth. So uh, both millennialism and post-millennium, I would say, see, though in different ways, they see Christ reign as from heaven spiritually through the church in the millennium, which is now, though they have different outcomes of what that will look like. Um, and Premillennialism would see Christ reigning now through the church, but he will have a physical thousand-year reign on the earth before the new heavens and new earth. So it really is, in a large sense, where you take the millennium is the millennium between the first and second coming of Christ, or is the millennium after the second coming of Christ, with the church age being between the first and second, being separate from the millennium. I do hold, if you couldn't tell already, to the third view to premillennialism. Even within that, there's a broad spectrum. There's classic premillennialism. There's uh, dispensational premillennialism. There's historic premillennialism. There's progressive dispensationalism. There's a whole spectrum. I would say in the other views as well, there's a spectrum of belief. And so as I wrap up kind of the section of what are the three views, let me give you this encouragement. Don't uh, don't have a unequal weight and measures with how you evaluate someone's eschatological view or an eschatological view in general. Don't say, this is my view, premillennialism. And so when it comes to premillennialism, I'm only going to read scholars that are the best and they give the best support of premillennialism. But when it comes to the other two views, amillennialism, postmillennialism, I'm only going to read critics. So I'm armed myself with how they're wrong. I think you need to evaluate all three views using Scripture as your anchor, right? Where sola scriptura people. Scripture is the ultimate authority. But read the best of each of those views and evaluate them in accordance with Scripture. Don't only read the best and supporters of your view and only critics of the other view. I don't think that's a honest way to evaluate those views, and it will lead you to a lot of trouble and, and often a lot of fallacious argumentation and uh, misrepresentation of people. So understand that in all these views, there's a a spectrum, and that even though I've tried to um, define them very simply, I'm sure there are different people within all the different views that would take some issue with how I've defined them. And I understand, again, that's just part of trying to simplify a broad spectrum of people in a certain way. So with each person that you're reading, consider what their views are and how they represent their views, interact with their arguments using Scripture. Don't don't only read the critics and think that that's going to give you an informed understanding of someone's view. In fact, often that can lead you to unjust weights and measures. Okay, so having discussed kind of a general definition, having reminding us that the main point is God is in control, and therefore the main application is to comfort one another with these things, then discuss the three major views. I want to talk about two particular parts of eschatology that I think are helpful for us to know. The first is personal eschatology. What happens to us when we die? That, I think, is the end of my life or the end of one's life. That is our end. Uh, So what does that look like, and how does that relate to what I'll call cosmic or or final or ultimate eschatology. So personal eschatology and cosmic eschatology. For personal eschatology, the normal process of personal eschatology, for those who do not live until the rapture, there comes my premillennialism in there. Uh, for those who don't live until the rapture is death, the intermediate state, resurrection unto judgment, and then the eternal state in either heaven or hell. So first you have death, natural death. It comes to all who don't make it to the rapture, natural death. After that comes the intermediate state, and then all will be judged. All will be raised to judge. Those who are uh, who die without Christ will be raised uh, to judgment and given their glorified bodies because they will be covered with Christ, and they will be given glorified bodies fit for eternity in heaven. And those who die having rejected Christ will be raised and judged and given bodies fit for eternal damnation and will spend eternity separated from him this is true of all now in terms of cosmic recons- or cosmic eschatology which does factor into those things i believe cosmic eschatology has final events that are still to come First, the rapture. This is described in Thessalonians. First, the dead in Christ will rise, and then we who remain, those who are alive and remaining until the rapture, will be raised to join with him. Then the tribulation time, as the church is removed from the world. This is Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation, uh, in which the Antichrist will wreak all kinds of havoc, and God will pour out his judgments upon the world, which you can read about in Revelation and then the uh, defeat of the Antichrist on the day of the Lord, which is Jesus's second coming, where he will come with the church and they will conquer all. This will lead to a millennium, a literal thousand year reign at the end of which Satan, who will be bound during that thousand year reign, will be out, let out, will lead one final revolt, will be squashed for, uh, forever for good. He will be defeated for good, cast into the lake of fire along with all those who have followed him, and this will lead to the eternal state, which is described as the new heavens and the new earth. This is the summation of cosmic eschatology. Now, I know in the 14, 15 minutes that we've been going here, I have not covered everything. Again, that's not the point of this main point series. We are not trying to cover everything. Rather, we are trying to give you um, an overall view. So again, I want to ask you, As I wrap up here to one, take my reading charitably, understand the difficulty of the task of summing up these views and summing up different points of view. Understand that I've done my best to represent them honestly. Uh, two, as you want to study further, study those who support those views and and analyze them with scripture before you just jump to the critics and just say, Oh, I want to do the critics. I'm not saying ignore the critics everybody's view needs to be tested by criticism and by challenge. That's perfectly fine. But don't only read the critics of the views you disagree with. Read the people who hold to those views and make sure you're trying to be charitable and understand them as best as possible. But most of all, I want to encourage you to remember the biggest point of this. God is in control of the end. He has been from the beginning, and this should bring us great comfort and great joy and so as we face suffering in this life as we faith face death in this life as we face circumstances that we can't explain that we're like job we don't know the fullness of what god has designed for these trials and for these sufferings let us remember and let us comfort one another with the truth that god is in control of all things and he is bringing them to his glorious ends what a blessing, what an encouragement this is, and I pray that it continues to encourage you as you dive deeper into studying eschatology. Thanks for tuning in to Farmer Theologian. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I think next week we're going to get in back into the uh, Books of the Bible and Attribute series with a look at Exodus, so stay tuned for that. Thanks again for tuning in to Farmer Theologian as we continue to build deeply rooted practical theology.